This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of Fight Back on Zoomer Radio. Heard weekdays from noon to one. Now, Fight Back with Libby Snymer on Zoomer Radio. Yesterday, Peter McKay joined the conservative leadership race, and I think that means it has now begun in earnest. McKay, of course, is the founder of the party. He merged his progressive conservatives with Stephen Harper's alliance, and subsequently he served in the portfolios of foreign affairs, justice, and defense under Harper. So obviously he's had a lot of experience. Marilyn Gladu is the only other declared candidate. The other names bandied about as likely contenders are former Quebec Premier Jean Charest, former Cabinet Ministers Pierre Polievre and Aaron O'Toole. Yesterday, there was a report that Rana Ambrose, another former Cabinet Minister, will not run. And again, uh, we have yet to hear from the woman herself. So where does this leave the field and the party? I'd like to hear from you. Do you have a favorite? Uh, do you think this sets them up well for the next election? The numbers to call 416 360 toll free 1-866-740-4740. Right now, I would like to welcome Aleem Kanji, Vice President of Government Relations at Sutherland, and uh, Ashton Arsenault in Ottawa. He is with Crestview Strategy. Hello and welcome to you both. Hello, Libby. Okay, am I hearing a uh, an echo somewhere? Uh, okay, it's just background noise. Hi, Aleem. Hey, good afternoon, Libby. Uh, Ashton, maybe uh, you could find a slightly quieter place. Uh, Aleem, uh, what do you think it means that McKay is in? Well, let's set the context here first, Libby, if if we can. Um, We look back to the last federal election, and you see the Conservative Party of Canada uh, under the leadership of Andrew Scheer, receiving the most votes. They won the popular vote. A lot of people forget that, just like Hillary Clinton did in the United States. And, of course, she's not president. Um, another interesting uh, uh, facet around that is that it actually was the second highest vote total uh, for any Conservative Party leader, uh, trailing that uh, of just uh, uh, Brian Mulroney back in 1984 uh, in what was obviously a very historic landslide uh, back then, if, if many of our listeners remember. Does Peter McKay entering the race right now represent that middle brand, that middle of the road um, uh, candidate that they need. This is going to be a very controlled campaign. Uh, The price of entry is $300,000 and 3,000 signatures, which I don't think is going to be a problem for the serious candidates. Uh, And they're going to need that all by the uh, 25th of March uh, for the June 27th convention of who they decide the leader will be. So, you know, Peter McKay, of course, spent a lot of time in politics. He has done his his bid on Bay Street as well, uh, respected within the party. Can he can he build a bigger tent? Can he uh, uh, navigate around, you know, those so-called social conservative issues that many believe did the conservatives in in this last election? 
So well, there, there are a lot yeah. of considerations there uh, to see if he can actually do that, build a big tent. Uh, I suspect uh, we'll have our friend John Capbianco working on Peter McKay's campaign. We have Michael Diamond is going to be working on his campaign. Well, there you go. Another, right. another friendly conservative uh, as well. And, and, of course, the campaign and the race itself is going to be chaired by Lisa Raitt, yep. former uh, uh, deputy leader, former cabinet minister in the, in the Harper years, uh, a very well-known conservative um, who I think is going to add discipline uh, and, and and rigor to this race to keep those that are serious from uh, uh, participating and leaving those that are not on the sidelines. So I keep an eye on Lisa Raitt and, and Dan Nolan as well uh, as the co-chairs of the campaign. Often, uh, do you agree that a lot of this hinges on, on making sure that the person is kind of middle of the road and is not a social conservative? Well, I think that's ultimately a question for the membership, uh, frankly. Um, you know, um, people will have general opinions about the electability uh, in a general election um, about one candidate or another. But um, as the other guests likely will agree, uh, leaderships are a far different animal and entirely different set of circumstances. Uh, look, I am uh, quite satisfied that uh, Peter McKay has decided to hop into the race. I think the timing was right. I think he has been biding his time uh, considerably now for a while. Uh, and all of the signals sort of led towards this. And by all accounts, he's going to have a really professional team um, attempting to help him get this done. Uh, I'm looking at the electoral map now, and when I say the map, I mean sort of uh, Conservative Party memberships because we do have sort of a unique way uh, of electing our leaders, which goes and, all the way back to the merger, right? And so. and all uh, there are people who think that 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 will sink you. The just the system that you use, uh, will, you will end up invariably with a second choice. But go ahead. <laughs> Yeah, um, look, there there has been a lot of criticism leveled at uh, how the Conservative Party elects its leaders uh, over the last number of years. Um, and, you know, um, there's some pretty intense opinion on that. And generally, uh, it does come up for review uh, at conventions, but it survived this long and very likely will survive again into the future. Um, but if I'm looking at the map right now, uh, you know, you sort of hit the, uh, the nail on the head, Libby. Um, Peter is sort of this middle-of-the-road, or at least understood to be a middle-of-the-road conservative, if not leaning uh, slightly towards the red Tory wing of the party. How is that going to stack up against people like, let's say, Pierre Polyev, who has very um, established sort of conservative bona fides across the country and uh, is certainly more vocal about uh, the principles of conservatism and where he views that uh, with respect to the party. So, uh, I think it's going to be a tough road to climb for Peter McKay. It's certainly not a uh, going to be a shoe-in contest for him, and he knows that. Uh, and I'm sure that people like Michael Diamond will will drill that into him too. He's got to he's got to put in the work. He's got to sign up members. He needs to fundraise, uh, and he's going to have to do an awful lot of touring across the country because, uh, you know, as as publicly uh, relevant as Peter McKay is right now, there are still areas of the country that may or may not have an opinion of him that is not going to be particularly helpful to him in this race. So he's going to have to do a lot of uh, traveling around and a lot of handshaking over the next four months. Now, do you agree that 
this whole issue of, I mean, on the one hand, uh, in the general population, probably social conservatism is not a winning thing, but a lot of members of the Conservative Party are, and they're the ones who get to vote for the leader, Aleem. There's no question. Um, you know, these so-called, you know, SOCONs, they're a very important part of the Conservative base. Let's not forget, you know, these are folks that might have entrenched opinions around abortion around sex ed, uh, around issues like cannabis. But the fact of the matter is they show up, they organize, they donate. Um, and they, you know, they, they have the ear uh, of, of the party. And so that will have to be looked at uh, and navigated around very, very carefully. You know, whether your name is, is Pierre Polyev or even somebody like Aaron O'Toole. You know, here's a couple of Ontario guys that... Um, uh, we'll have to make sure, I think, as as um, as was pointed out earlier, that they expand well beyond their base of Ontario. We have Western alienation, you know, talk of Wexit, all of this stuff happening out, you know, with our friends in, in Calgary and Edmonton and, and Western Canada. How do potential leaders reach out to folks in Western Canada, you know, from places like uh, Vancouver uh, to, to Calgary and Edmonton? It is going to be important to make sure that, that that part of the country is seen. And I think even more so for someone like Peter McKay, who has roots in eastern Canada, of course, the Nova Scotia uh, guy himself, but he'll have to reach out. Uh, and, I, and I wouldn't dismiss Western Canada uh, out of this and, the, and the, the fundamental issues that they face. I was just out in Calgary recently, and I'll tell you, they're hurting out there. You know, they, they got a 35% office vacancy rate. Sitting here in downtown Toronto, Libby, we're at probably just under 3%. You know, that means one out of every three offices are vacant. They are struggling. They are hurting. Uh, they are an oil and gas economy, as we all know, and they need to expand around that. What are the thoughts of those leaders uh, around this in, in helping our friends in Western Canada? That remains to be seen and, and articulated by, uh, by the, uh, the potential uh, leader. Okay, uh, I'd like to bring in conservative strategist Andrew Brander. And Andrew, still with this whole question about uh, social conservatives and whether they're electable, the fact is that Peter McKay voted against same-sex marriage and again voted against reopening it, yet he seems to have this rap as, as somebody who is not socially conservative. Uh, so, you know, what about all that? Yeah, I think I, I think will be in large part that uh, that that comes with the uh, the advantages of sort of being being associated with the former iteration of the Progressive Conservative Party um, and a, uh, a a softer conservatism, if if you will. Uh, the question the question that uh, his candidacy will actually venture to to answer in this. Uh, in this leadership race is whether um, that uh, that uh, uh, brand of conservatism is still is still relevant in this iteration of the conservative party um, as you as you uh, you and your other guests have already been uh, have already been discussing this is uh, this is obviously just the third leader in uh, in in the uh, in the history of the conservative party in its in its current iteration and uh you know peter mckay is going to be relying very heavily on um on the former organizers uh who were who were part of that previous legacy party that that he led 
Um, and I think a lot of those questions are going to be answered. Are these people still around? Are they still active organizations uh, that, that he can leverage into, into actual real support? Um, but I do think, I do think to, to broadly answer the question, um, I think a lot of the, uh, of the leadership contenders are going to uh, have, to, have to come out and address those votes head on. They have records. Um, as anyone who uh, who has been elected previously does, and and I think you'll see actually some of them, uh, you know, come out and flat out say that they were wrong um, in their uh, in their previous votes. So I think that's uh, that's something to watch for and and create that create that distance. But but obviously uh, Canadians have moved on it too. Uh, so I think I think it's reasonable to expect that our politicians. Uh, could have could have evolved as well. Uh, I am going to take a call from Darcy and Lindsay. Hi, Darcy. Hey, Libby. You're on the air. Go ahead. Yes. Well, I'm I'm going to support Peter McKay. I, if Rana had run, I'd probably would have supported Rana. But I'm going to support Peter because I think he's the only one that has the national presence out of the other two main candidates, which I consider to be Pierre and Aaron O'Toole. I'd Charest. Uh, Forget Charest. He's, he's, not, he's not on the radar as far as most conservatives are concerned. But Peter's got the national presence. He's got the experience. He's got a little bit of charisma, too, which helps. And I think he's a logical choice, and I think he's the only one, quite frankly, that can beat Justin. Uh, okay. Um, uh, Aleem wants to talk. So, Aleem, you, you know, can respond to Darcy first. This is, a, this is a great comment by Darcy. And I want to come back to this, this quote that... Um, President Barack Obama used when he talked about U.S. politics. And he once said that, you know, U.S. politics are played between the 40-yard lines. You know, and there's a little sports analogy to say, you know, U.S., the United States of America, for what it's worth, really, people sit within those 40-yard uh, uh, marks. And I would say that in this country, we play between the blue lines, to use the hockey analogy. We, we really are between the two blue lines. And so, you know, we don't have an electoral college, obviously, in this country. Thank but I, goodness. Thank goodness we don't. <laughs> but, you know, I think the only way to win, the only road to victory for the conservatives is to take votes from the liberals. Um, they've, they've reached, I think, a ceiling with, you know, social conservatives and, you know, movement conservatives they are already in. Um, <clears throat> so the new leader is going to have to reach out very, very quickly to those that vote liberal, you know, those those, those, you know, sort of red Tories, um, you know, women as well, I think are going to be a big part of uh, the base that they're going to have to try to build. Um, can McKay do this? Possibly. Can Sheree do it? I think so. Um, you know, can, can Rona Ambrose do it? You know, Rona Watch technically is still on. She hasn't said no. She, let's, let's get to that in a moment. <laughs> Darcy, thanks for your call. And uh, let's go over to Ottawa and Ashton in Ottawa. Okay, so... Um, Everybody is saying they were looking at Ronna Ambrose as maybe the savior of the party. She performed brilliantly when she was the interim leader, uh, really kept everything together. She's a woman. She's young. She's got all the bona fides. Now, yesterday there was a report uh, in the press of all places right. uh, yeah. saying she was not in. So she hasn't said so herself. Uh, I would be waiting to say, wait until she said so herself. I mean, she's got a good thing going in the private sector, though it looks like she'd be the shoe in So it's, it's hard to imagine why she wouldn't just, 
you know, go for it. Ashton, why yeah, won't you go for yeah, it? It's certainly interesting. Um, I, I certainly don't think she'd be a shoe in uh, if you wanted my honest opinion. Okay. But, uh, at the same time, um, she definitely steered the party more than ably uh, during her interim stint. Um, but the reality is interim stints are an awful lot different than going into a general election as the head of a party. Um, that all having been said, uh, would she have significant support if she were to enter the race? Absolutely. Everybody knows that, and she would immediately be a formidable candidate. Um, but at the same time, um, for many reasons, just like Peter McKay is going to face, uh, and the other candidates as well, maybe even including Jean Charest, uh, her presence is much more focused out in the West than it is any other place in the country. Um, she certainly has a couple of things going for her right off the bat. Uh, she speaks well. Um, she's quite moderate compared to a few of the other candidates. Uh, and she's got a female advantage as well in this race, which uh, is certainly going to pay dividends when you're going up against Justin Trudeau. So um, to answer your question, I don't think she would have been a shoe in um, You know, if I'm Ron Ambrose right now, do I want to get into what is going to be a dogfight and leave uh, what I believe to be a pretty good existence in the private sector? I don't know. It's a tough call. Andrew Brander, uh, the other thing that I'm not really getting, okay, I, I get that the candidates are waiting, biding their time for the right moment, but, but what is with all this cat and mouse stuff, yeah. and why, yeah, why well, isn't I mean, she just telling us <laughs> yes or no? Well, and that's, and, and that's why I think that speaks clear and loud for itself, quite, quite frankly. Whether the report um, from La Presse is, is right or wrong, it's, it's frankly irrelevant at this point, in, in my opinion. I think, uh, I think the lion's share of the organizers have aligned themselves uh, with, uh, with an individual candidate. Going back to, going back to Darcy's call there, I uh, can't help but say I, uh, I recognize, recognize the voice. I think that's uh, one of the provincial riding presidents. But that speaks to, to, to the point I was making about Peter McKay's uh, staying power on uh, on on um, traditionally progressive voices who have actually uh, you know donated their time to the party as a riding president, um, and those are the people that are able to organize. And the fact is, you know, in in Darcy's case, he sounds like he's pretty aligned uh, aligned with uh, with Peter McKay, um, and and those are the people that that these leadership candidates are going to be relying so heavily on. Uh, in the last few weeks, I've spoken with many uh, party organizers across the country. Haven't really heard of any of them who have who have really been reached out to by uh, by Ms. Ambrose or uh, or a team organizing on her behalf. And those who who actually have, um, whereas some candidates have been have been getting the call and saying, "Hey, uh, I I am doing this. I am committed to this, and I want you to be part of the team." I'm hearing the calls from from people who are who are you know seeking support on her behalf are are making those calls much more in a uh, oh I don't know what I should do um, you know give me some advice and oh, so, that's that's not the kind of leadership that that people are looking for okay so those so but they're still making calls on her behalf but I I, I guess those people are going on the fact that she's not organized and she would be uh, yeah maybe? I mean I mean I don't I quite frankly I don't know if uh, if 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 there's a point in actually making an announcement also um, saying that you're not running uh, this could be a case where where the deadline just comes and passes, and she's uh, 
you know, just whatever it is, is the case. Uh. So there's another thing at play, and it, 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 maybe it is the elephant in the room we haven't talked about, but it, it is out there. Um, and, uh, and we'll see whether it happens or not. And that is this. My sources are saying that there is a uh, possibility that the job of Canadian ambassador to the United States yeah. will be uh, offered to one Ronna Ambrose. Now, that is a fascinating job proposition in a minority government that we face uh, uh, liberally uh, with the liberals, of course, for the next few years, I think we can all agree on, uh, that would isolate her, um, take her out of the race. Well, for sure, that for sure. And give her a pretty plum position. Now, having to work with uh, U.S. President Donald Trump and the rest of the lot, some may disagree, but I think it would, it, would, it would be very interesting to have a conservative voice on what we're facing with the United States. A lot of um, issues cent- centered around um, the economy, of course, you know, foreign affairs issues. We saw what happened uh, in Iran. Um, we're seeing what's happening in, in the economy. We get a Western voice in there. Trudeau Pair had a very, uh, very... Uh... <laughs> A very good saying about that, that, and that is exactly where we we're at with uh, you know sleeping beside an elephant. And by the way, it would also make uh, for the first time in our history uh, uh, the first female ambassador from this country to the United States. I, I'm surprised that hasn't happened as yet, quite frankly. And I think she'd make a, a, a remarkable uh, uh, ambassador. I think she'd also make a remarkable entry into this race. Rana, if you're listening, the cards are in your hands. Yeah, we know that. <laughs> <laughs> okay, well, that's a, that's a good point, re- reminding us about uh, that. I'm going to take a call from Sam in Toronto. Hi, Sam. Hi, Libby. Good morning to you and to your guests. Um, you know, there is one secret weapon that Peter McKay, uh, well, McKay is a younger generation of conservatives, and I really like the guy. He's I mean, not that young anymore. Well, you know, right, hey, don't, don't make me feel old. You know, <laughs> what I'm saying, young is good. It's good. But what I'm saying is that uh, he has a secret weapon that no one is talking about. He has a charismatic, intelligent, famous public speaker, human rights activist, and former Miss World Canada uh, you know, winner. His and wife, we were he, talking about his wife just yesterday. Uh, I was oh, talking yeah? to him okay, so, just before so he announced case, about, yeah, exactly. uh, so what about Iran. He's going to bring that, you know, that tag team match like, uh, you know, Michelle Obama and Obama, which is very absent in Canadian politics. You know, well, like it, some people think Sophie is terrific. Uh, <laughs> so I'm not sure. Uh, you know, you, I'm sure you prefer N- Nazanin McKay, but... Well, uh, I'm kind of biased because... You're kind of biased, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but, uh, yeah, uh, that's, that's a good point. I gather uh, Ron Ambrose has a nice partner, too, as I'm sure the others do. No, no, do. no, they're all... Uh, no, 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 I'm not putting others down. I'm just giving... I'm just giving uh, you know, that's up on this one. And plus, when McKay comes up, then, yeah, you know, uh, we, we, we're not going to have Justin Trudeau as apologist for uh, Mullah regime in Iran. So that'd be a great, great change. Okay. Canada. Okay, Sam. Thanks for that. Thank you. Okay. Well, uh, I, I'm pretty sure that Peter McKay would have the Iranian-Canadian vote sewn up. 300,000 people. <laughs>
you know. Before we turn to provincial politics, Ashton Arsenault, what is going to happen next in this leadership race? Are you expecting official announcements from the other three people that we have talked about? And when should we expect that? Um, fair question. Uh, I do think uh, that the logical next step is going to be the sort of the official jumping into the ring by a couple of other candidates. Um, uh, by all accounts, Pierre Polyev is going to run. Uh, you know, he's got the team. He's already making calls. There's a significant amount of organization underway. I'd be shocked if that didn't come within the next couple of weeks. Um, Aaron O'Toole, again, he's got the organization. I know he's out doing calls. I saw a couple of fundraising events pop up on my radar, actually in Ottawa. Um, so very likely that he's in soon as well. Um, I would be very surprised if both of these two didn't get in by the end of the month. Um, then you've got sort of the more wild card characters in Jean Charest. Um, <laughs> you know, he's got an interesting campaign thus far. Uh, he can perform better in Quebec than the other candidates seems to be um, his only message thus far. Um, I think he will have an extremely difficult uh, road ahead uh, to claim the leadership. Uh, I think a lot of conservatives are scratching their heads wondering if Jean Charest is actually a conservative, but maybe that's a debate for another time. I'm, um, I'm wondering if Jean Charest is wondering. <laughs> <laughs> um, so to answer your question, yes, the logical next steps uh, are going to be um, other candidates getting into the race. And then there's a couple of significant events coming up. I'll just put those on the radar of your of your listenership. Uh, the Manning Conference is coming up. Any candidate that's in the race is going to be at that. Um, there's going to be some leader debates organized, obviously. Um, but leadership, above all else, is ground game. Signing up members, fundraising, that's it. Okay. Andrew, anything to add to that uh, before we move on to the next topic? Yeah, I think to, to Ashton's point there, the rules in, in large part don't leave uh, a lot of time for candidates to get in. That's why you're seeing these more traditional soft launches um, that that are a way to signal that you're in without obviously the big, you know, confetti cannons and balloon drops. And, and because the rules actually don't allow for candidates to formally start fundraising. Um, until they are a registered candidate. Now, you have to, they're, they're sort of layered in, which is nice. So you, you hit different milestones. So it's not like you need $300,000 to enter the race tomorrow. But you do need um, that amount by, uh, I believe it's the end of March. End of March. And therefore, if candidates are, are in a position where they need to race, you know, $300,000 in the next uh, two and a half months, then they've really got to, and they can't start doing that without being being officially in the race. Then they have to make themselves known known very quickly. Uh, now, I'm just trying to remember, wasn't it the Doug Ford leadership where the balloon drop didn't work and that <laughs> turned out to be that, a story? That's correct. That's that was, correct. Yes, that's correct. Uh, Aleem, uh, unless there's anything to add on that, let's pivot to uh, provincial politics. Oh, yeah, I would just add that the, the actual deadline is the 27th of February to have your name on the, on on uh, registered. So theoretically, if you if you register uh, by the 27th of, of February, you then have a month uh, taking us to the 25th of March to get those 3,000 signatures and to get your $300,000 uh, in uh, in place, so that doesn't give a lot of time. One month, so I would agree with Ashton and Andrew. I think uh, we will be hearing 
uh, by the end of this month, uh, in the next two weeks, whether the names we've talked about are officially going to be in or uh, whether they're going to they're going to play from the sidelines. Okay, let's take a call from Michael in Toronto. Hi, Michael. Yeah, hi. Um, I, I think uh, Peter McKay would make a good uh, uh, candidate for the for the leadership for the Conservatives, but I, I, I truly believe that uh, Andrew Scheer would have been Prime Minister right now if it hadn't been for the people of Ontario that were voting against Doug Ford and, and the and the billions of dollars that uh, we inherited from the, the previous Liberal Party. And uh, if it, and I, I think people like myself would have, would have, as as I did vote conservative, and I am in Ontario. Uh, what do you think about that? Um, uh, I don't know. Uh, <laughs> I don't know about that. Uh, I think that a lot of whatever the problem with Andrew Shear was, is a lot of it was was Andrew Shear. Those things were all happening. There's always something, but uh, I think there was an issue with him. Yeah, but don't, don't you think that the uh, the the the, uh, the people of Ontario would have voted uh, conservative if, if it hadn't, or would have voted conservative if it hadn't been for for Doug Ford and, and uh, the cutbacks that he made that people were upset about? But I, mean, uh, I think know. they would have voted conservative if there was a candidate that they liked. Uh, so, I mean, it's six of one. I'm, I'm not a strategist. <laughs> so thanks for your call, Michael. Uh, thank you. I, I just say one thing yeah. on uh, on on Michael's call, Libby. Uh, the fact is, whether whether Doug Ford was or was not a, a factor in the last election, we there's only one thing we really do know for sure, and that's that Doug Ford got more votes uh, in Ontario than Justin Trudeau or Andrew Scheer. So, uh, like the the fact is, that was only a year ago. Um, I don't, I don't, I'm one that believes that not, not much of that has changed, despite the fact that uh, you were referencing uh, a poll. Um, you I'm might about be, uh, to give the details on it. So I'll turn it over to you. Liz. Okay, so a Polara poll, reputable polling company. So it shows that right now the leaderless liberals who actually haven't even been getting that much ink or attention or airtime, are ahead of the Conservatives. And this, you know, a little bit of time since the Conservatives have, uh, you know, unleashed their kinder, gentler face to the world. So it shows the leaderless Liberals, led by John Fraser, who we rarely see, at 33%, Doug Ford's Conservatives at 29%, the NDP at 27 and whoa ho, Mike Schreiner and the Greens at 9%. So, uh, you know, to me, that does not bode well. I mean, if anything, it just shows that, that uh, the Conservative... The progressive conservative charm offensive maybe isn't working that well, Aleem. We, well, we've got, you know, March is, is around the corner. Uh, and in March, we're going to find out uh, who the Liberals pick as, as their leader. Uh, candidates are already out there. We've got former Transportation uh, Minister Stephen Del Duca. Who apparently uh, has it sewn up. Well, uh, from a, from an organization uh, perspective and from fundraising, um, he certainly has an advantage. Uh, we know the way these things work. We know how Dalton McGinty became leader, and it didn't happen on the first ballot years ago. Uh, it was, I believe, on the fourth on the fourth ballot. So, uh, does that you know uh, spring hope for folks like uh, uh, Mitzi Hunter or Michael Couto? Uh, again, both former ministers in the uh, in the Win uh, McGinty years. 
how will Ontario voters reflect on 15 years of Liberal leadership uh, in terms of, of bringing in what could be a former McGuinty win uh, stalwart into uh, into the picture. It's almost looked at the same way as how will Canadian voters uh, reflect on having a Harper stalwart leading the party. Now, you can make the argument that Peter McKay's been gone for a little bit of time uh, and uh, Ronna Ambrose if she decides to enter. But these are things that I think the general public is, is going to look at. The issue, though, is that it's this is not a general public race. These are races for leaders, and these races are very distinct and are organized very differently than a a, a general election. Uh, but yeah, I, I, you know, Stephen Del Duca um, probably has uh, has 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 uh, has a good shot um, at uh, at winning. How does he debate well on on a stage with with Doug Ford? I think those poll numbers are, are going to change when things like that are out and when we see the attack dog uh, as leader. Uh, in in uh, in Queens Park, uh, debate and go after uh, the premier. Uh, those those numbers will uh, will change as time goes on. Okay, uh, Ashton, what do you think? Do you think that this is just some kind of blimp, or that this is kind of bad news for the Ontario PCs? Yeah, I mean, at, at the very least, it's a snapshot in time. Um, oh boy, how short the memories are in Ontario with respect to the Liberal Party. I guess. Um, look, and everything uh, else. <laughs> it's pretty easy uh, for the Liberal Party right now um, because they are sort of being assessed on ideals and values. There's nobody to wear the stench of a decade of failure. And I feel like inevitably, once a leader um, is installed, and yes, I will agree with both of you, by all accounts, it looks like it's going to be Mr. Del Duca. Um, there will be holes poked in his sheen fairly quickly, and he'll be forced to answer questions uh, with respect to the failures of the past. And I feel like once uh, the rest of the voting population in Ontario gets a sense of what uh, a liberal solution would be to the current government, um, the varnish will wear thin quite quickly. Yeah, I'd, I'd, I'd add on, on what Ashton said there. I can say um, that if, if you look back, I remember uh, being being shocked at this myself, but uh, during, during the whole um, Ontario PC, Patrick Brown, uh, Kerfuffle, and uh, the time between uh, the exit of Patrick Brown and the selection of, uh, of the new leader, even admit... Uh, amongst a, a very messy leadership where rules were unclear. We had Patrick Brown coming back in and then leaving again. The Ontario PC party actually had their highest polling numbers um, during during that period. Um, it's, it's because, um, Libby, people want to see uh, themselves in uh, in that party, and therefore, um, you know, a leaderless party is is often... Uh, the beneficiary of, of, of better polling numbers. Um, however, the, as, as Ashton said, the, the, the party's uh, not going to remain leaderless forever. There was uh, a debate hosted last night here in Toronto um, of the Ontario leadership, uh, Ontario Liberal leadership candidates, and boy, it looks like a lot of has been. Um, and just very, very reminiscent of uh, of that uh, that sort of stale, out of date, uh, out of touch, uh, out of touch ideas and party that that we had become so used to. And I can tell you, even in the way that they're selecting their leader, 
um, is 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 reminiscent of that. Of course, they're uh, they're reverting back to a uh, a delegated system. So this is uh, this is going to be up to liberal elites to 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 be able to make this choice. So uh, it's it's really up to them to to select the leader, and uh, they'll have to uh, they'll have to lay in whatever bed they set for themselves. Okay, so. Uh well, you guys are all conservative strategists, so you think that this is this is just uh, the result of some kind of vacuum. Uh, you know, uh, a lot of the things that you said, interestingly enough, could be said about the conservative race. There are, all seem to be former Harper people. Uh, a lot of people have very bad memories of the Harper government. Uh, you know, he, he was defeated by Justin Trudeau, who was then the leader of the third party, and that was a surprise. So, um, you know... Uh, I think it's interesting. What can I say, Ellie? And we're not even talking about the opposition. I mean, God bless the NDP, but uh, they just really haven't been around um, uh, and have not been an effective opposition. And I think that's that's something that's reflected in 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 the Polara poll. I mean, they're just not even not even on the map. I mean, for twenty seven percent, you know. But where has two percent behind the governing party? Yeah. Fair. Uh, I, I question where, um, you know, where the opposition is being on a host of issues, um, you know, be that education or uh, health care or, or, or other things out of Queen's Park. They, they really haven't had much of, of a presence. And it's, it's a golden opportunity uh, for them to take advantage of, of a government in waiting, really, as the opposition. I, I, I can't see that happening. I mean, I, I think uh, and of course, there's a long way. Uh, to go until the provincial uh, next provincial election, but they really haven't uh, uh, haven't de- defined themselves and have been uh, not as organized as uh, as the other two parties. Okay, I'm looking at the clock. Uh, Ashton and Andrew, can you give me something in ten seconds each, please? <laughs> uh, yeah, look, there's going to be a couple more candidates that get into the Conservative Party race. Um, that's inevitable. Uh, I think uh, once the first debate happens, I think you'll start to see sort of a, a clear front runner. Um, but in the way that uh, leaders are chosen in the Conservative Party of Canada, uh, as you saw last time around, uh, it's not over until the final vote's counted. Okay, Andrew, ten seconds. Yeah, I'd say uh, interesting, uh, interesting race certainly to to watch at the federal level. Um, what impacts that will have at the at the provincial level as well. Um, as you alluded to, I think I think you know, Ford's had uh, Ford's had a difficult year, but there's lots of time, uh, lots of time to recover for that, and uh, they they are very secure in a uh, in a majority government, and I'm sure this was uh, this is all part of uh, part of a greater plan, knowing that um, that some of the more difficult decisions should be made up front, uh, so as to see uh, long term benefits from that. Okay, thank you so much, Ashton Arsenault, Andrew Brander, and Aleem Kanji. Appreciate it very much. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of Fight Back on Zoomer Radio. Heard weekdays from noon to one. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of Fight Back on Zoomer Radio. Heard weekdays from noon to one. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of Fight Back on Zoomer Radio. Heard weekdays from noon to one. This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show.